Okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay, call it. This is Echo 2, calling in a fire mission. Hello and welcome to the Check Your Six podcast, your place for the your hardcore mill sim, realistic, tactical, whatever you want to call them, shooters. I'm Eustace Fodder. I'm the team leader for this particular podcast. We're doing a solo mission today. Couldn't quite get the uh, the crux and the Tacti-Gamer in due to some scheduling conflicts with the holidays and all that. You all understand, I'm sure. But it's been a bit and we have so much to talk about today. So honestly, I think we should just jump right in. First thing that we got to talk about is definitely Escape from Tarkov. What a crazy week that they have been having over there. If you didn't see, Tarkov hit over 250,000 people viewing it on Twitch. It was the number one game on Twitch for pretty much the past four days, and that has to do entirely with the Twitch Drops program. So they've hooked up a number of streamers, not this guy despite my asking, come on BSG, what are you doing? They hooked up a bunch of streamers with basically items that you can get in-game just by watching people on Twitch. Uh, the event runs from the 30th of December all the way through January 5th, so if you are listening to this before then, definitely hop over there, connect your accounts, and you can get some free items. I mean, I've, uh, I got some white key cards for Terror Group Labs, a uh, dog tag case, a money case, a couple weapons, and then a couple other trash items. So, can't really complain about getting free items just for watching some streamers. Um, you t- the event did get some of the big Tarkov streamers actually to be the number one streamers on Twitch, including my man Pestily, uh, who is, if you haven't seen him before, he's an Australian streamer, has really become kind of the face of Tarkov streaming. Absolutely fantastic guy, and he was the number one streamer. I think he capped out at around 80,000 viewers. And he was able to raise over 30 grand for charity in the past couple of days. He keeps doing 44-hour streams and then going to sleep for like 10 hours and then do another 44-hour stream. I don't know. It's absolute craziness. Uh, but some other names like Cone Carnage and Dr. Disrespect, you know, some of the big guys on Twitch, have also jumped into Escape from Tarkov um, kind of controversially after saying some bad things about him on Dr. Disrespect's side. But they tried it and they seem to be having a good time. Uh, and honestly, it's just been a great time over on Twitch. I can't avoid talking about this, though. If you didn't see it, the official BSG channel was banned from Twitch. There's a particular clip that you guys might have seen scrolling around on Twitter. But basically, during a recent podcast, uh, the Tarkov devs um, were there. And a guy sitting next to Nikita, who I'm not sure has been actually named. He was wearing a mask at the time. uh, Did pull out an actual pistol firearm, racked the slide... And then uh, pretended to shoot himself in the head with an actual weapon. And apparently that was a little bit too close to Twitch's TOS. And he did, in fact, get that channel banned. I'm sure that it will get unbanned soon enough. But, you know, it's one of those things. I I can't believe I'm having to say that BSG got banned. But whatever. It is what it is. Um, Other stuff that's going on. uh, Tarkov did drop their 12.2 patch uh, in addition to some some other nutty stuff. Basically everything since the... uh, the wipe has just been absolute craziness. They keep adding new stuff. This latest patch added some new weapons. Uh, the DT MDR, which is a 762 by 51 um, sniper rifle. The VPO 215, which is actually a, a dot three three, or sorry, dot three six six TKM sniper rifle. I actually got to use that one. It's terrible, but it does give you a pretty nice scope when you get it from scavs. So whatever. Uh, the Osiris T5000 MP9 and uh, the SR25. So a bunch of different. Uh, Weapons, as well as a couple new calibers. 
Um, a lot of weapon mods and some new clothes for you, Second Bear, including that Abibus tracksuit that everyone's been wanting. Um, and then they also, one of the best changes that they did is increase the fire rate of the P226. I don't know if you remember, but way back in the day, P226 used to be pretty dominant because of its rate of fire and its damage and accuracy just really overshadowed all the other pistols at the time. They modified it with a very slow rate of fire. I think it was like, seriously, like one shot every second or so. Like it was really slow. And uh, it looks like they just uh, increased it again. I haven't had a chance to get my hands on it yet. But but if you, you know, have actually dealt with that, definitely pop me a little, a little note over there on Twitter and let me know what you think of it. Uh, what else is going on in Tarkov? The... Oh, yeah, the new raid episode just came out. So if you haven't been watching this, raid is basically a live-action Tarkov fan movie, but not fan movie because it's actually made by the, the Tarkov people themselves. Well, at least they've it's officially sanctioned by them. Um, really top-tier acting, great effects, uh, but they're only coming out like every three months. So the third one just came out on New Year's Day. So definitely, if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. You can just search Tar uh, Escape from Tarkov Raid. Uh, and definitely watch all three of them in sequence. There is a storyline to them. So pretty good stuff over there. And yeah, just overall, Tarkov's doing really awesome. Not just on Twitch, but I gotta say, the game itself has been feeling great. There was some weirdness with, with this wipe, um, especially related to scavs. Scavs for about two weeks were like Terminators, man. I don't know what they changed, but they were able to see you from hundreds of meters away. And it's just like instant drop headshots for a while. That was a really rough time. And they have been having a little bit of server instability, but they did, in fact, just finally get some server upgrades online after this huge influx of new players from all of the exposure they're getting on Twitch. So hopefully that will iron a lot of that out. And overall, I just got to say, as somebody who's playing a sort of hardcore-esque experience right now on Tarkov, you know, where you're not able to buy as much stuff, I really think with the hideout and uh, the ability to craft stuff in the hideout and the new barters that they've added and kind of changing up the barters from time to time, I really think the game is getting a lot better as far as that ability to not um, basically just have to go and just buy a whole kit every time. The idea of actually building your own kits or if you're playing a hardcore challenge, you know, doing it that way uh, is a lot better in the game. So if, you play Escape, if you're like me and you play Escape from Kark Tarkov pretty hardcore last year uh, and kind of got tired of it, especially with that super long time between wipes. Definitely a great time to check it out right now. There's tons of new players, which is really nice. I've noticed that the action on places like Customs is a lot of uh, low-gear players and stuff like that again. I mean, you still got big fatty boys running around, but it is what it is. So, yeah, definitely check that Definitely check that out, and uh, let me know what you think. Uh, I think BSG's doing some good things. Um, like we talked about in the last podcast, I'm not sure if they're getting closer to their original vision of... Uh, of a free roaming, you know, open world shooter, but definitely what they're doing. Oh yeah. And of course, uh, reserve can't, can't not say something about reserve. I will admit I have not done a single raid on it yet. I'm kind of intimidated by it, but, uh, it seems to be the new, it's the new hangout, tons of scavs, lots of great PVP, great sniping spot up there on the dome. So they're doing a lot of good stuff over there as came from Tarkov. Um, next up, let's talk about squads. So Basically, since we've last talked, Squad has released two major updates, Beta 17 and Beta 18. And the biggest change in those two betas is actually adding the Commander role. 
So basically, the command rule is like you expect from any other game. It's one player that gets to call in strikes. That's the main thing the commander could do. He also gets a special radio channel that he can communicate with individual squad leaders, which is kind of nice because the leadership comms can get a little bit hectic. Uh, to become commander, you have to be a squad leader, and then you have to volunteer for it. And there's actually a voting that happens amongst the squad leaders uh, to be able to vote whoever the commander is going to be in there. And what I like about squad recently in the last few updates is they've really been trying to differentiate the different um, factions beyond just having different vehicles and weapons. And the commander is a perfect example of that. So basically, if you're the conventional commanders, that would be the Brits, the Canadians, the Americans, and the Russians... You have access to an MQ-9 or the whatever the Russian equivalent is, high-altitude UAV, uh, an air airstrike, so that would be an A-10 Warthog for the more Western powers, or the Su-25 uh, rocket strike. Uh, and then all of them have a sort of artillery barrage that is sort of controllable. You can either do a creeping fire or a static fire on it. Um, but it does have two sort of ranging shots that kind of provide a little bit of warning to people in the area. But they are highly accurate fires. Um, but the conventional commanders have to call in all those strikes from nearby a hab, so within 30 meters of one of their sort of bases, one of their fobs. Whereas the unconventional factions, they have very different call-ins. They have a small quadcopter drone that you can actually pack like explosives onto and, and fly it in somewhere and blow it up. It's a great clips of that on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Um, and they also have this uh, mortar barrage. So think same thing as their artillery, but it's not nearly as accurate. But the plus side is there's no ranging shot. So you could be sitting there capping a point, and all of a sudden the world's just exploding around you, unlike the conventional ones uh, where they do have those ranging shots. But what's cool about the unconventional factions is that they can actually, their commanders can call in their strikes from, you know, habs and fobs like the conventional faction, but also from nearby friendly vehicles. And that's actually a really cool thing that I've seen happen where you'll basically have a squad that will drive the commander around and he'll call in his strikes from right next to that vehicle while they're also doing stuff like intel and that sort of thing. Um, so definitely the, the commander is a really nice addition. It was kind of needed, to be honest. Uh, a bunch of squads working independently, I think, didn't really make much sense. He kind of always had one guy step up and act as that commander, and now they've sort of just given the commander more tools in his toolbox. Uh, but one aspect of the commander that a lot of people don't realize is not quite very intuitive is you have to actually get somebody to call for that strike as a squad leader. So that's one of the issues you can't... It's not like other games where you just click a button on a map and suddenly uh, your strikes start coming down. No, somebody's got to pull out those binos and they definitely have to call for that strike themselves. So if you ever do get up in that commander position, make sure to remind all of your squad leaders they need to be calling for strikes if they want them. You can't just give it to them willy-nilly. Um, some of the changes going on with squad is they they finally removed buddy rallies. This is a really controversial thing when they added buddy rallies. I know a lot of people were upset about it. I got to admit, I don't mind it. Um, I think that there's they need to come up with another system, maybe not buddy rallies, maybe the ability to spawn on certain types of vehicles or something like that. Uh, I get that one of the main aspects of the game is building up those habs and getting fobs going, but honestly, with how easy it is for sappers to move around and destroy your various habs that you have set up behind the lines, um, there needs to be an additional thing beyond just one rally per squad and whatever fobs you have up but that's just my opinion you know that's useful as far as opinion whatever you're gonna say uh but those buddy rallies are gone as of update 18 except for the insurgent side so once again another thing they're changing that is really 
uh, specific to the faction and differentiates. So now the insurgents can do that buddy rally, meaning if any of the squads get down to rally, it's all of a sudden insurgents can be pouring out of an area. Pretty cool uh, little change just for them. And then there's a bu- been a bunch of changes for sort of the uh, the movement physics for both vehicle and infantry. I think it feels a lot tighter. Um, I know they tested these on their, uh, what do they call it? It's either CTE or PTE. I was getting them confused with insurgency. Um, but they tested them a lot. They went through a lot of different feels for it. And I think what they've landed on is honestly really good. I think it's uh, it's it's feeling like it's in a good spot. Uh, the vehicles as well kind of feel like they have a little more heft. And they changed the way the gearbox works in them. So now it actually uh, goes up and down in gear based upon speed, not necessarily on RPM, which is really nice because you'd have problems where you'd be trying to go up a hill. And so your RPMs would be jacked and your vehicle would just keep kicking up into an upper gear and up and up and up. And that's just not great because uh, you're trying to go up a hill. So you'd be just crawling up a hill. Now it's based on speed. Not necessarily realistic, but, you know, better for the game itself, uh, just the way it plays. Um, and overall, squad's just feeling, I think, feeling really good lately. I think some of the mods that they have coming up are going to be uh, a huge benefit. And I, I guess I didn't mention, because it, it's been a while, but in Beta 17, they did officially release the Canadian Armed Forces as well. And I believe that they're teasing that the Australians might be the next conventional faction. I'm not really sure, sure on that, so... Another game that we didn't really talk about last podcast was Postscriptum. So Postscriptum is being released by the same publisher, Offworld Industries, as Squad, but it's not actually being designed by the same team. It's a Periscope Games. It's an entirely different development team. Though a lot of people have have drawn a lot of parallels between Postscriptum and Squad, especially in the way that you um, go out and you have to build, you know, fobs and things like that to actually spawn your guys. Um, Postscriptum, I think, is a really cool game because... What it's doing is, rather than just trotting the same ground as every other World War II shooter you've ever seen, Postscript is actually really trying to tell storylines with each of their uh, chapters, they call them. So, the first chapter was on the Bloody Seventh, um, and this next chapter they're just about to release in seven days as of this recording, on January 9th. They're going to release Plan... I think it's Plan Jean is how it's actually pronounced. I'm not exactly sure. It's French word. But basically, it covers the battle for France, which in my understanding, has never been covered in a game before. It's actually the Germans in 1940 pushing into France and taking that country over. I think for a lot of us that are not necessarily super deep World War II buffs, kind of uh, have just glazed over everything basically pre-Battle of Britain. And so the invasion of Poland, the invasion of France, all that sort of stuff just kind of just gets, you know completely forgotten and so they didn't want to do that so they're they're gonna have three different battles uh for this particular campaign it's gonna be stone d and an unnamed sorry unnamed third one that they haven't quite revealed yet but on the ninth we're gonna get those first two and like i said it is 1940s so rather than just copy and paste their german army that they have from the 1944 sort of d-day and push into france from the chapter one it's going to be a completely different german faction faction with different weapons different armor everything like that and the germans were a lot more bare bones at the beginning of the war so they're going to actually show that by not having you know all of this amazing equipment mg42 didn't exist uh there's a lot fewer fully automatic weapons um a lot more cars on the battlefield uh, so that's gonna be really cool. And then also you get to play as the French faction, which once again, very few games have ever actually had French infantry or French weapons in the game. 
Um, so I think that's going to be really cool to see how they take that on. And honestly, it's just a complete, complete treat, I think, for gamers to get to play just this completely different chapter of, you know, no pun intended, of the war. I mean, we've been fighting the digital war for, what, three times as long as the actual war went on. Uh, but we still have been trying the exact same battle. You know, you always have a D-Day. You're always going to have a Battle of the Bulge. You're a lot of times going to have a Stalingrad. It's going to be a lot of those same battlefields. It's really cool to see something new. And I think, um, you know, it being sort of in the hardcore niche genre, I think Postscript is the exact game to, to bring that. I mean, these maps look beautiful. The dedication to realism for a lot of the vehicles and weaponry looks fantastic. So I'm honestly really excited to see it on January 9th. I'm going to admit, I have not actually played this game. I've owned it. For a long time, you know, on the back of Squad, knowing how good Squad was, I've owned uh, Postscriptum for a long time, just never really got into it. So I'm definitely going to be playing on January 9th, and uh, hopefully some of you guys uh, will be playing as well, and uh, we can swap some war stories uh, when we get to the, the next episode. Okay, next up, let's talk about Insurgency Sandstorm. So they did release their big update 1.5. Uh, one of the biggest changes, or additions, I should say, is Domination Mode. So think like... Any other game where they have domination mode, Call of Duty is the first one that comes to mind. Basically, you get three objectives that uh, you're trying to control. Each of those objectives earns you points. The more po objectives you have at a time, the more points you get. First team to 200 points wins. It uh, gives you randomized spawns. So unlike something like Push, where there's uh, spe very specific spawns, this uh, has different spawn areas that will kind of change as enemies move around the battlefield so you never really are able to fully establish those battle lines and so it's really kind of a nice mix of tdm uh which they had actually on sandstorm before and then removed um it's a nice mix of that with sort of the objective gameplay that they're trying to go for sandstorm they don't want it to just be a run and gun shooter but uh you know they did freely admit that they really feel like sandstorm is well positioned to be a gateway game for a lot of people trying to come from games like the battlefields like the call of duties and so having a domination mode something that is recognizable something that's kind of fast doesn't necessarily require a ton of tactics uh was something they wanted to have as one of their playlists just so people can jump right into the game um other changes to sandstorm include some really big and honestly extremely controversial changes to how the weapons are handled in the game so one of the big complaints from a lot of people about Sandstorm is that the weapons felt uh, kind of random and generally inaccurate, uh, especially when you were doing things like firing from the hip um, or moving with them. And so they reduced the recoil on most weapons uh, to what I would say are actually more realistic levels, though some of them are still a little bit intense, and they uh, reduced the weapon sway. So now the idea of... Uh, sort of snap into people's heads and actually taking your enemies out, it just feels a lot more likely than it did before. And it split the community a bit. Uh, some of the people that enjoyed it the way it was before are really frustrated with the way it is now. They feel like it's too snappy. Uh, they feel it's re less realistic because of how quickly you can get, you know, bullets on foreheads. Uh, but a lot of the people who came from Insurgency, the mod, and the first Insurgency game really felt like Sandstorm had always kind of felt like a spray and pray kind of game and honestly the competitive scene i think was mainly what this change was made for and generally received positive reviews on that end so those those changes i will say my opinion i thought they were great it feels a lot better now i feel like as i'm moving through the map you know 
stopping, crouching, and firing, I can get those shots off a lot faster. It just feels more skill-based and a lot less sort of luck or, you know, who camped the hardest. Sandstorm also ran a very successful uh, free week right after they dropped update 1.5. Uh, and that honestly, like, tripled or quadrupled the players during the actual free week. And then they've they've kept a good chunk of those players still playing since then. So the server's a lot more full, able to find a lot more games. And honestly, I think breathed a lot of life back into the game. It had had kind of, um, I feel, a bit of a, a rough patch there. They got around 1,200 average players which is not a small amount for an indie game, but it wasn't near what it was at the height. And so a lot of people were wondering what they were going to do. And I think just, just getting the game in people's hands right after these changes, uh, you know, getting that new domination mode and letting a lot of people try it out. Sure, a lot of people tried it and never came back, but there, we still have a lot of new people that stuck with it. And if you want to know more about this update, uh, just a little self-plug here. I do have a YouTube video on it uh, over on youtube.com forward slash useless fodder. Uh, basically covered the whole update, what the domination mode is, and then a little bit of the gameplay from the update. Uh, that did, video did do really well, so I think some people did appreciate it. So hopefully you'll like it as well. And lastly, there's an awesome little trailer for all the new stuff that they've added as well as sort of one year since release on the game, or whatever, the past year, I guess, not an entire year. And the, that will be linked in the show notes, along with all of the patches, any videos, anything we talk about here, uh, from any of the games, we will have links down in the description for this episode. So definitely go click those, check them out. That trailer is just absolutely fantastic. I don't know who does the New World trailers, but every time I see one, it's like jaw-dropping. So uh, my favorite hardcore World War II shooter, Hell Let Loose, uh, did get a big update as well. Update 4, which has the same Maraglise map in it, which is their first uh, dedicated urban map. And I say dedicated urban... Um, it does have, I'd say about half of the map is very nice open rolling farmlands with drainage ditches and, uh, hedgerows, fantastic countryside. But once you get into St. Mary's, it is door to door, house to house, street to street fighting. And what, uh, excellent experience it is. I mean, it for a game that generally the engagement distances are what I would call medium to far, uh, to have to deal with people, I mean, right up in your face. I mean, you're fighting over stairwells, you're fighting over windows. That sort of gameplay is, in my opinion, missing in a lot of the hardcore games and very much appreciated in this game, especially because I think the gunplay in Hell at Loose is absolutely fantastic. So by getting in that close quarters, it really allows the game to show off just how good the gunplay is and how nice it can feel. And honestly creates for some awesome tense moments where, you know, you're trying to sweep through a particular section of the city to clear for and or clear out any enemy garrisons. And maybe you missed that one street and enemies are able to get behind you and suddenly you're getting attacked from all angles and you're trying to hold a building and you're getting waves upon waves of people trying to take it. And it's just a unique experience. And I'm really glad they added St. Mary's. Um, you know, it's a very iconic location for D-Day. Uh with it's you know it has that church that has the paratrooper that landed on the top and so it's just really cool to see that in hell let loose and i think they did a fantastic job with it also chocked full of a ton of easter eggs so i'll give you a little one right here you may have seen on the Reddit if you follow this game if not this might be news to you go look on the table inside the actual cathedral you will see and i'm not making this up the holy hand grenade from monty python and the holy grail so 
A lot of people online didn't know that that was actually from Monty Python. They were like, oh, yeah, it's the holy hand grenade from Worms. Come on, guys. Really? From Worms? As if they didn't get that from something? Anyway, so that that is there in the church. There's a whole bunch of other great uh, Easter eggs people have been popping up on the Reddit with. So, you know, Black Bear's having a little bit of fun there, and, and I really appreciate it. Another big change for Hell at Loose is they did overhaul the Foy map. That's the big sort of snowy map. A lot of complaints happened about this map in that it just is really hard to move from point to point because it's generally just vast open fields of white and a bunch of soldiers in dark camouflage running across them. So basically, once you're holding a tree line, uh, it became a matter of could you put enough smoke on the battlefield to be able to inch your way across three to 500 meters of just open fields. And that was just a little bit, a little bit much. And a lot of people complained that there were only a few lanes that you ended up fighting on that map. And most of the map went unused because it was just too dangerous. So uh, one of the big changes for that map is they added a lot of cover and a lot of strategic areas. There are still open areas, of course, uh, but they added more hay bales, more corpses uh, from dead animals, um, you know, uh, more ditches, more explosions, that uh, craters, that sort of stuff. To just give you just those little bits of cover to where you can, you know, run across, lay down in cover, start f- giving covering fire for your other teammates coming down. Uh, and it's just really essential, honestly, for a map like that to get that cover. They also updated the weather quite a bit um, to where the fog had some serious issues where the roll off was just really weird. Now it feels a lot more realistic. And there was a big issue related to snipe, uh, sniper weapons on their scopes for some reason didn't ever render the fog. So if you ever were running around on Foy and you got sniped and you're like, how the hell did he see me? Well, that's why, because they could see much farther than other players. Uh, that got fixed in there, and that was, that was actually a big change for them. Um, so definitely Foy is looking a lot better. And they also added an offensive mode to Foy. So this is a German uh, attacking Foy, because uh, Foy is from the Battle of the Bulge, or the Winter, um, winter Offensive. Uh, so Germany trying to push through. And it's hard, I'm not going to lie. I tried it. Both Samir Glees and uh, Foy to win offensive mode is really hard as attackers, uh, which I think is good. I think uh, I think they they balanced it right. I think winning as attackers shouldn't be a 50-50 thing. I really do feel like a lot of games make it too level. Attacking is difficult in warfare. There's a reason why you want three to one uh, odds when attacking, and that's been the number that's existed since before you know guns were even invented. So I think they've done a great job with Hell at Loose in just a lot of ways. I mean. I think, whatever, I could talk about this game forever. It is, right now, probably my favorite game I'm playing. Uh, I find myself reaching for it a lot. The matches are pretty long. I mean, 90-minute matches can be really tough. But if you ever get into a 90-minute match, holy cow, does it ever feel great. Like, I've never had a 90-minute match where at the end I was like, that sucked. No. It's the the 20, the 40-minute matches. Those are the ones that, you know, if you lose those, it's like, okay, well, that sucked. We got steamrolled. But anytime it's a 90-minute match, you know you spin back and forth and back and forth. So um, some of the other things they added in Update 4, they did add some uh, a full new set of customizations for every class on the German side, which is kind of nice, basically uh, as a thank you, um, as well as some free Winter Helmet DLC that as of right now is still available in the store. But uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't gotten your free Winter DLC uh, helmet, definitely run to the Steam store right now. You know, don't stop the podcast. Keep listening to the podcast. Pull out your phone. Go to the Steam store. And make sure you actually, uh, you know, get that whatever sign up for that DLC because it will go away eventually, and they haven't exactly said when. But I like that they're adding new customizations. They also gave the ability finally 
for the squad leader on the American side to ditch his uh, Thompson submachine gun and take an M1 carbine. Holy cow, what a big deal that is for squad leaders. Because a lot of the maps, you know, like I said, you're fighting those medium to long ranges. Getting stuck with that SMG really sucks. Same Ergles, great to have the SMG. Any other map? No, not, not really my thing. So definitely uh, it's great to unlock that. It takes a while though. You have to get level three as squad leader, uh, which is honestly, I think the progression system is a little slow right now. They have talked about speeding it up a little bit, um, but it takes a lot of battles as squad leader to uh, to get to level three. But, you know, it's worth it. It's a nice little, nice little upgrade for you. If you want to see anything else about the Hell Let Loose update four, once again, another little YouTube plug, uh, go to the Useless Fodder YouTube. I do have an update video. Uh, between that and the insurgency video I mentioned before, these are like two of my most watched videos. So I must be doing something okay with these update videos. And I think they nest pretty what, pretty nicely with what, you know, the listeners here are looking for. So, uh, you know, they're a little more in-depth than what I've talked about. And they have a lot more gameplay footage. So it's always nice seeing what the game looks like. And uh, it looks great. So highly recommend you check that out. Okay, scooting on over to another one of my favorite games that I honestly haven't played for a while because it is in kind of a, a lull right now. World War Three, the sort of, uh, you know, hardcore-ish battlefield game is basically right on the cusp of releasing their new movement system. And they did actually uh, release some great videos that uh, my co-host, who unfortunately, like I said, couldn't be here today, Gamer, look him up on YouTube, released a great side-by-side -side comparison uh, and sort of complete look at all of the changes they're going to do for the movement system. But basically, they're trying to improve it in three areas, what they call responsiveness, smoothness, and flexibility. So obviously... Any first-person shooter should feel like you've got total control of what's going on. And World War III has felt very sort of clunky and and uh, a slightly out of control. The way that your characters move, the minimum movement distance, the way that it's, he, he swings his arms, all that sort of stuff, just didn't feel that re realistic. Just didn't feel like you were fully in control of your character's body. And that really attacks at the immersion for a lot of people when it comes to shooters. Um and so even though it's less realistic per se, you know, quote unquote realistic, um, they have changed some of those movements. Like, for example, when you are in your running animation, obviously people don't run with their weapons within their vision. That just would be a weird way to run. You know, generally they run with their weapons down. But in gaming, you tend to expect to be able to see your arms are swinging a lot faster. So they've changed it to where you now see the weapons swinging back and forth on your screen. And it's more immersive. That's just the reality. Because it's not your actual hands, because it's not your actual body, you can't feel it. It's a lot more immersive to just have the weapon on screen so you know, hey, I'm running now versus when I was walking, I kept my weapon, you know, trained on what's in front of me. So that's one of those things that, you know, as a, as a, obviously a big fan of hardcore shooters like these sort of games uh, that we're talking about today, uh, I really do think that calling them realistic shooters, I guess it's kind of an aside, but whatever. Calling them realistic shooters is not the right goal. That's why I use the term uh, hardcore or tactical shooters. Because honestly, realistic or realism in shooters is not entirely desirable. You could go into hours and hours of things uh, that just wouldn't be fun in a shooter, per se. You know, I think what it is is about taking things and distilling down what the feel of being in actual combat would be like not trying to make it one to what what actual combat is like 
For instance, in actual combat, uh, bullets causing these huge ricochets and stuff flying off everything, not very realistic. It just isn't. If you watch combat footage, you can see where bullets are hitting, but it tends to just be like a little plink and, you know, some dust might fall off of a wall or, you know, some dirt might skip up. But it's not the nice, you know, stuff flying or everything like that. But in a game that just doesn't it doesn't capture because, you know, you're not actually there. So you rely on cues like the things flying around, like the the big explosions and, you know, the weapons swinging on screen. You rely upon all those things to give you the feel of the intensity of running for your life or hiding behind something because bullets are skipping off of you. You know, I talked about this in the last uh, episode with Hell Let Loose, where that idea that when you get shot at, your uh, your control of your weapon kind of goes away and your arms swing back and forth and you can't actually take a, anything approximating an accurate shot. That is not realistic. That doesn't, when you get shot at in combat, it doesn't cause your arms to sway back and forth. It just doesn't happen. But the whole point is, if the rounds are snapping that close to your head, as an actual person, you would put your head down. You're not thinking about returning fire when the rounds are that close. You know you've got somebody trained on you. You're getting down. And so the game wants to force you to do that by giving you a mechanic that prevents you from accurately returning fire. You rely upon your buddies to do it. So, you know, in that way, World War Three is, I think, though obviously not the most realistic uh anyway but i really feel like some of the things that they were holding on to as what was realistic uh with especially within the movement system they're finally abandoning you know when when your character uh does a sprint animation which they're adding in a, a second sprint by the way sort of like what call of duty and ground branch have where you have your running animation and then your very short distance tactical sprint you know when you run like that your character holds his weapon aloft straight up and down with his you know one hand his other hand swinging not very realistic in my opinion, I've never seen someone sprint full bore with their rifle held aloft by one hand. That just doesn't seem realistic. But, you know, in the game, it gives you that feeling of, oh, I'm I'm running fast now. And I think that that's I, I'm really glad that they're taking in that direction because I think that their core audience for that game for World War Three is people who've played Battlefield and they just want a more hardcore experience. They want something that just feels that much more immersive, that much more quote-unquote realistic. But they're not necessarily, you know, looking to completely re- completely replace the type of game it is. Because World War III just isn't a realistic game. There's a whole lot of sprinting across the battlefield. There's a whole lot of running and sliding. I mean, vaulting is, is one of the big changes to the movement system. They had a lot of new vaults, a lot of new slides. I don't think that's particularly realistic. But does it, does it give you a, a, a high-intensity game that also has a low time to kill? Also has very realistic uh, weapon modeling, has uh, really cool weapon customization. Those hardcore elements, yeah, that's what it is. And that's what I think they need to be aiming at. We're not aiming at realism. We're aiming at immersive, modern, tactical gameplay. And so I think they're doing a great job with that. Sorry, kind of went off on a little rant there. But, you know, if you're, li- if you're 40 minutes into a podcast almost and, uh, and, and you're not looking for a little rant, then what are you here for? Anyway... Another change to War 3, uh, for those of you guys that played it back in the day, uh, they had a weapon called the Tor. It's a 50 caliber sniper rifle. They removed it from the game because it just had, it was just too powerful. It was a one-shot kill on all enemy infantry, and anybody was anybody and everybody was using it. They were putting a red dot on that thing and running around using it. And that's just not right. So 
I think they've uh, hit a really nice uh, middle ground with it. What they've done is they've added it back in the game as its own class, an anti-material rifle, which is what the Tor is, and they'll probably bring along other ones like the Barret and some other, you know, very large caliber weapons. But the only way that you can fire the Tor right now is if you're in the prone position. And that is awesome. It gives you the weapon back, and it, you know, it allows people to do what they want to do with the weapon, but you have to be prone to use it. You can't run and gun with this thing. What a cool idea, and I would have never thought of that, but, you know, the guys over at Farm 51 probably know what they're doing, and so I'm interested to see how that actually looks in-game. If I mean, you always have issues with campers just sitting there sniping, right? Any game has that. I don't really get it, but whatever. You know, and this might sort of support that even more. Yeah, they're just going to lay down now, and they're never going to move, but I do think that I would take that over... People, you know, running around a corner, bringing up their 50 caliber sniper rifle with a red dot on it and uh, popping me from five feet away. I, that that sucked. So those are the big changes. Um, they haven't added that yet. That is in their very, you know, quote unquote, soon TM uh, update. But like I said, definitely check out Tacti Gamers uh, YouTube video on that. There'll be a link in the description. Uh, really nice rundown of what those changes look like. OK, next up, Ground Branch, you know, Crux, my good friend and co-host. Uh, favorite game and uh, you know that amazing darling of a game that I, I have a hard time finding the time to really sink my teeth into it like I want to which is funny because the matches aren't that long really if you do a terrorist hunt or a pvp match like they're over relatively fast I don't know what it is but there's something about for me ground branch like when I play it I want to get into it because I want to spend 20 minutes setting up my perfect operator loadout uh, you know with the exact gear at the exact colors I want whatever Barbie, Barbie dress and operator, I guess. What do you want? That's that's how I play Ground Branch, and uh, I'm not going to even say it's wrong, but I haven't been able to play as much of this game as I really want to, but they uh, did release the build update 20 for that, and that's been an update that's been long in coming. Uh, a lot of back-end changes, really a, a, most of it was back-end changes, but they did still add uh, a ton of content to the game. They added their largest map, Depot, back in with a new lighting engine and a completely expanded outdoor area. And honestly, this map is my favorite map in the game right now. One of the spawns starts you off like way down this like wooded road. And you can follow the road or you can run through sort of the, the brush. And there's patrolling AI and everything like that. And then once you come up to the warehouses, there's AI on the roof and there's... You know, it's just a really cool map. And with the new lighting, it looks absolutely fantastic. So uh, definitely, definitely pleased with, with Depot going in there. Another uh, big change that they added was AI visibility. So the enemies in Terrace Hunt before used to basically have a binary on-off. Either I've seen somebody or I haven't. And it was kind of hilarious because you'd be walking around. All of a sudden, you hear a guy scream out of nowhere, Stand by! And you're like, what does that mean? Uh, and I didn't, you know, you're like, oh, there's somebody saw me. And the reason, sorry for yelling, by the way, in your ears, the reason for that was because once the AI's, uh, vision cone interacted with your foot, your hand, the top of your helmet, whatever, they instantly saw you. Sorry for hitting the mic there. And they've changed that now to where there is a, uh, sort of a scalable visibility. So if you just got one little piece of your arm poking out, the enemies can still see that. They will eventually pick up on it, but it's not an instant binary thing. There's a good chance they might miss it. Uh, also, you know, if they're looking in your direction and you just sprint between cover real fast, they might not actually see you. So uh, this has produced a, a far more um, 
realistic feeling AI, uh, and also one that's just a little bit more predictable. There was, I would say, the and the enemies before were extremely unpredictable as to when they'd be able to see you. Sometimes you'd be able to creep right up on them, and their binary thing didn't ever go go on, so they just never saw you, and you just cap them from right next to them. Other times you'd be all the way across the map, all of a sudden you're getting, you know, AK shots from uh, from hundreds of meters away, and so that was really awkward, and, and it's really good to see that they keep working on the AI. I think the AI is one of those things that, you know, in a game that's very much leans on their terrorist hunt, I think the AI is uh, going to really make or break on release. So seeing these sort of incremental changes is great. And one of the big things about this change that they sort of hinted at is that the way they added the system in, it allows them to do more things to provide greater control as to whether the AI sees you or not, specifically in relation to like camouflage. And so they didn't really expand upon that, but what I'd love to see, and I think almost anyone else who's into these sorts of games would like to see, my goodness, can a game that is not a third-person first, or th- sorry, third-person open-world ex- exploration game, can one of my hardcore first-person shooters please have an actual camo system where enemies actually see you based upon the camouflage you wear? And so if I'm in grass and I'm wearing some good grassland camo, they don't see me as well as if I'm crawling around on you know, concrete, please. That would be really nice. And that's sort of what they're hinting at with that. So looking forward to that crossing my fingers that we'll see that sometime soon. Um, Some other changes to build update 20, the map small town, which is uh, sort of a shoot house map uh, with these four buildings that you can go through. Uh, They added some, some minor changes to that, uh, like a little bridge and some cover. Uh, it, It doesn't seem like much, but actually that's one of, in my opinion, the more played maps, and so I think it it does add that nice little bit of nuance, uh, being able to move between, I believe it's A and B buildings across the new little bridge. Uh, another map, 747, finally got the upper deck and the uh, cockpit area completed. The cockpit's kind of a cool little area that you can take shots at enemies from far away with lots of cover, so it's actually a very desirable position to take now for your DMR. Um, and then lastly, they added the user arena two. It's just another version of user arena one, a little bit different, primarily for those really, really fast terrorist hunt and PVP games. As far as the content side, beyond just the map changes, uh, they had a lot of new gear. So they had three new pistols, the M17, uh, the M9A3, and an officially licensed, which I love all the official, uh, official licensed stuff we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, agency arms, Glock, uh, sorry, Glock 19 looks absolutely fabulous and there's just something about having that efficient official license on the weapon that just gives it this this air of authenticity you know like it just really immerses you so much better seeing even just the actual markings on it because they always have to change a few things and you're always kind of looking at it and you're like this isn't the exact thing but when you see the you know the actual agency arms on there it looks super cool um, also they added five new sites, uh, to your weapons, including the, uh, zoomable one, one to six times voodoo, uh, scope also from, uh, EOTech, a lot of EOTech branded stuff got added into the game, um, as well as the, uh, OKP, which, oh wait, was it the OKP is another Russian site. Now I feel like a fool for not having checked that. Let me go check that real fast. Okay, I'm an idiot. It's the EKP-818. Uh, it's one of the Cobra series. I really like having those uh, Russian sites as well for whenever I'm running my, my AKs. Um, they had four new lights uh, and lasers, including a new PEQ, or at least updated PEQ, as well as two additional foregrips. And so it seems like kind of minor 
for a game like this when they're releasing new maps and they're updating AI to really talk about all the individual uh, additions as far as weapons and modifications to them. But honestly, you know, since the game is like has such a huge focus on weapon and gear customization, every time they add a new foregrip or a new laser or some new sights, you know, for the players that have picked up this game, that's that really adds so much more replayability. It's like, okay, I'm going to rock the M4 with the CCO. Oh, next time I'm going to try the Voodoo. And maybe if I want to have it be the sort of DMR setup, how would I build that? Like that gameplay, like I mentioned at the start of talking about Ground Branch, is really, I think, core to the DNA of this game. And so I think it's really cool that, you know, for each of these updates, they've been adding more and more of the stuff, especially getting those official licenses in there so that now you just get that that perfect little tweak for your weapon to be exactly how you want it. And lastly, for Ground Branch, they did add some uh, new sounds and tweaks to the sounds. So a lot of the weapons have improved sounds, but the biggest improved sound that you'll hear is they finally changed kind of the old footsteps. Uh, and it's just so much better I can't even describe how much how much better the new footsteps and uh, gear rattle sounds are. Before it was somebody described it as uh, as a horseshoe sound, and I, I kind of thinking back to how it was before. Definitely could tell that. Uh, I think the footsteps are far better now. A bit louder though. Uh, and going back to those AI changes, uh, the AI is a lot more sensitive to footstep sounds as well as uh, shooting sounds. Basically, any sounds that you make now. Uh, now that they're less likely to see you the moment your, you know, sort of finger pokes around the corner, uh, they will investigate sounds a heck of a lot more. So, uh, along with those sound changes, watch out for the AI also listening for your new footstep sounds. So as part of this podcast, I want to introduce a new section. I'm not sure if we'll be able to do it every time or if we're only, you know, cause there's only gonna be so many of these that come up, but basically I want to highlight new games that I sort of see out on the frontier that are trying to, uh, you know, break open into the hardcore genre. And the first one I want to cover is a game called After Conflict Lost War. Uh, like everything I mentioned before, there is a link in the description to their website as well as their Twitter. Uh, but I'm just going to read straight off what the website says for what After Conflict Lost War is about. After Conflict Lost War is a multiplayer tactical FPS where players take the role of Cold War era military factions fighting over resources and land after another world scale war breaks out. The game focuses on providing a realistic and immersive experience of war. So basically, this looks like a hardcore shooter um, that is sort of the the pitch battle setup of games like, say, Squad or, you know, Hell at Loose, those sorts of games where it is just, uh, you know, two sides uh, vying vying to win the battlefield with uh, somewhat customizable loadouts. They've sort of shown that you're able to pick sort of your primary weapon, secondary weapon, some equipment, which includes grenades being the equipment. So you have to make selections if you want a grenade or some other equipment they've talked about are things like medic kits, those sorts of things. Um, So sort of not class-based, but because of the customization, maybe you're sort of making your own class. But also just, I gotta say, the setting for this game is really cool. Cold War era, unfortunately, is a portion of history in games that we just haven't really seen very much. So to my entry into hardcore gaming, as I mentioned in the first episode, was Operation Flashpoint way back in 2001, uh, getting your way back machine here. Oh my goodness, it's 2020 now. That was 20 years ago, guys. Hang on, I'm just taking a moment. Oh God, I'm old. Anyway, it's back like 2001, 2002 timeframe when I was playing Operation Flashpoint. And then you could kind of say maybe Call of Duty um, Black Ops 
had a section that was sort of Cold War, but really it's a interesting time with so many specific advancements in weaponry that we just haven't really seen, right? It's like games tend to be like World War II games, and then we've had a smattering of Vietnam-era games, and then modern games, and there's just so much stuff that's happening in between. So I think it's really cool that they're focusing in on that time frame, sort of that 19, I believe it's uh, the goal is to be 1960s to 19, late 1980s, I believe is the, is the time frame they're looking in. And the de- main developer of this game uh, goes by the name of uh, Sklarowski, and uh, I've had the opportunity to sort of hang out with him and, and chat him up quite a bit and watch the development of this game. And I gotta say, if there's any, you know, every sort of hardcore game tends to have a sort of focal point that the game hinges on. I'd say Squad is on their sort of fob building mechanics. Uh, a game, let's say you play a game like Scum, which is a hardcore game in a different way, right? It's the, all the nutrition mechanics. And Escape from Tarkov is the uh, weapon customization mechanics, right? After Conflict Lost Wars, main focus is on having extremely accurate, down to the exact location of where uh, the people who manufactured the weapons would put markings for the factory markings. Extreme focus on realism in the weapons and equipment. Um, A lot of research has been going into this game, uh, and every time they show one of their new high-quality meshes and models for every new knife or canteen or, you know, weapon variant, they look stunning and they just really like are getting the feel of of getting there and and i think it's important because when you have a game that's trying to cover sort of uh an untapped era a large portion of what's going to make this game successful is making it feel different if they try to do you know after conflict as a cold war game but then people are running around with m16a4s that's just not accurate like that just couldn't happen and anyone who uh has an eye for that sort of time frame is interested in that time frame would immediately notice it and your immersion would be gone. And so I really think that the focus on having extreme accuracy for that time frame, you know, they do that in a lot of games, but I think that this one in particular, uh, especially on the Russian side, sort of what the Russian production stuff actually looked like, what soldiers actually did, what their uniforms were actually laid out like, um, I think is just adds so much to, to what I'm seeing in this game. Um, and, uh, hopefully we'll get our hands on this game soon. They've released a lot of great screenshots of the equipment and the weapons. And they've also given a couple videos of what things look like, especially how things fire, but they have, there's nothing playable yet. I have heard something soon, soon TM, right? Every time. Uh, (laughs) but I really hope we can get our hands on this. Um, a lot of the rest of it's sort of, uh, not well known yet. What's the, what are the objectives going to look like? Uh, what are the maps going to look like? So it's it's still pretty early on in its very very alpha state uh, in its um, build, but I think it could really be something awesome. And I think that Skrovsky's building a a team of dedicated people, and they they pump out a lot of stuff uh, every week. They're pumping out new stuff, so I think it's really cool. Um, and I just appreciate his dedication to realism, and and honestly, even to the point where. Uh, some of the stuff I've seen him talking about what he wants to do with this game and sort of asking questions in their Discord of of their community as to, hey, you know, it, how do you think this would work? It's very, he's very o- focused on not game, sort of the gamification of this. He doesn't want it to, he wants it to be as 
Like he's shooting for realism. We talked about realism versus immersion. He's shooting more for the realism side. Realism matters a lot to him. He knows it's not going to be realistic if you're, you know, guy takes a bullet to the leg and then you've, you know, you patch it up and suddenly you're better. better. Obviously, there's going to be some gamification, but even some mechanics like, you know, he was asking about when he they had this canteen. They're like, what do you think this canteen should do? And a lot of people were like, why not make it like postscriptum where when you drink your canteen, your uh, it replenishes your stamina and you can sprint more. And at first he was like, that sounds like a good idea. But then he thought about more. He's like, nah, that feels gamey. And a lot of people were like, yeah, it feels gamey, right? It's a, it's a game mechanic. You drink water. Uh, it doesn't mean suddenly you can sprint more. That's just not how real life is. But, you know, seeing how he really wants to uh, sort of always cut the line towards realism. I think this could be a, a really cool thing. So highly recommend you check it out. Like I said, it's afterconflict.com. Game's called After Conflict Lost War. If you're interested in helping them with the development and sort of getting your opinion in on the game, they do have a Discord that they're very active in. Uh, so definitely go pop in, say hi, tell them that you came over from the podcast. And uh, yeah, that should be great for them. I'm totally excited to see how this game shapes up and when we can get our hands on it. And so, ladies and gents, that uh, is pretty much covers all of the, the big updates for any of the games that, that we've been covering here. I'm sure there's more out there, but uh, if there is, we didn't get to it in this particular uh, research session for this episode. But I really wanted to get it out. You know, it is 2020. Uh, it's been, honestly, a couple months since the last episode. And for that, I apologize. A lot of that came down to those scheduling conflicts, like I said, and eventually coming to the decision as a team that, yeah, we were okay with sometimes just doing solo episodes. So I gotta say, when I was doing the research for this particular episode, holy crap, was it not super, super hard to not want to fire up every single one of the games that we've talked about. Uh, you know, when I'm reading Insurgency Sandstorm stuff and I watch the videos for it, all I want to do is just jump on and play Sandstorm. Same thing with every single one of these games. So honestly, you know, I've talked about it before. I really feel like we've entered in sort of a golden age of hardcore shooters. And what a treat to be able to play these games right now and, and to be able to, uh, you know, really get to run across these battlefields, watch these games in development. A lot of them are still early access uh, and still in development and get to see sort of where they're going to go. I think the future is pretty bright for this particular genre. And, uh, you know, just me getting to do this podcast definitely uh, underscores that for myself, getting to look at all these cool updates and getting to talk about all these awesome games every so often. Uh, and sort of on the topic of the podcast, you can expect basically that we're going to do a lot more episodes sort of in this vein, basically me running solo ops or maybe one of the uh, other guys, uh, Tacti or Crux hopping in and doing a, a solo episode. And that just comes down to uh, difficulty in scheduling right now. Tacti Gamer has a new kid. Uh, you know, Crux just started a, a brand new job. I'm pretty dedicated to specific hours, but I travel a lot. So uh, expect to see more of these solo episodes. Hopefully you enjoyed it and uh, enjoyed some of the content, but we are going to steep, uh, keep getting those team episodes in where we're, all three of us get there. I'd expect to see, you know, one of those every three or four episodes is kind of the goal right now, but we'll see if we can get to that. But to sort of flesh out so you don't just hear me talking all the time, we really do also want to get into doing things like interviews. So interviewing game devs or community managers for the the games in the space or maybe even talking to some of the bigger content creators that would be absolutely fabulous and kind of where we want to take this podcast so it's not just updates or you know talking about the latest in the games or me musing about what my opinion on realism versus immersion is you know really getting 
more of that industry focus. So uh, if you are somebody listening to this podcast and uh, maybe you're developing a hardcore shooter, you know, maybe drop me a DM over there on Twitter. I'd appreciate it. But uh, also worth noting, I guess, talking talking about drop me a DM, uh, we really, really want to include you guys and gals, the listeners. We want to have uh, basically questions or comments uh, in upcoming episodes. So if you've got an opinion on a game or on the hardcore genre in general, or if you have questions about the games, where you think, you know, where you think they're going, anything like that, please drop me a DM on Twitter or send me a message on Instagram, whatever discord. I'm on discord. All my links, uh, will be in the show notes here. Just drop those to me and just say, Hey, I listen to the podcast. You know, you can feel free to give me your opinion on it when when you send this message. Hey, I listen to the podcast, and uh, here's my opinion. Or I, you know, I just want this, and then I will actually, you know, read it out in the next one. Give you credit, everything like that, and then we'll discuss it. So I'm working on doing one of those sweet sort of voice message systems that people have in other podcasts. Haven't quite figured it out yet. You think as a guy who you know streams, makes videos, makes podcasts, and works on computers all day, I'd figure this stuff out a little easier, but whatever i guess i'm a, i'm a young boomer at this point <laughs> so um with that though ladies and gents that's pretty much all we we got to talk about for this particular episode it is 2020 it's the 2nd of january uh, as of me recording this i hope that you have an absolutely fabulous new year i hope you had great celebration your holidays went well uh, and you're looking to 2020 as uh, as an even better year than 2019 um, I'm really excited to see where we're able to take this podcast and where uh, each of us uh, check your six podcasters is able to take our content. So I'm just going to sign off here as uh, I'm useless fodder. I stream Monday, Friday and Saturdays over at twitch.tv forward slash useless fodder. I also have a YouTube channel, Instagram. Heck, I got TikTok. I got it all, man. If it's if it's a place to dump content. Holy crap. Am I dumping content on it? So if you're uh, interested in, in getting to know me or you want to see some of the content, sort of see me play a lot of these games we talk about here, feel free to hop over there. Also, uh, TactiGamer, TactiGamer4 on uh, Twitch, um, and I believe uh, Twitter as well. I'll drop all the links for TactiGamer uh, over there in the uh, in the show notes, as well as Crux. So Crux has recently changed his name. He had a mixture of It's Papa Crux and Papa Crux. He is now going entirely as Goon Raccoon, the name Goon Raccoon on Twitter, on Twitch, all over the place. Uh, he also does sell some pretty cool vinyl stickers looking to get in the patch game. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, definitely go check out, I believe it's GoonRaccoon.com, whatever, link in the show notes. And with that, it is getting late here. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm still up. I got to stream in the morning. I got to go to work tomorrow. I better head to bed. Thank you so much to all the listeners out there. I hope you enjoy this one as much as you did the last one. And, uh, yep, I'll see you soon. Useless fodder, out. <laughs>